John 20, or sorry, John 12, 20 to 36. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I've come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I, when I have lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, we have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning to Christ Community Live, right? Uh, I'm Tom, <laughs> and uh, welcome to the Leewood campus. If you're in person and online, we want to wish you a very happy new year. It's great to have you here. Uh, Liz and I had a lovely Christmas break. And one of the things we did is we watched several episodes of The Chosen. Love The Chosen? It's an amazing story. Uh, let me say, I really like The Chosen, and some of you who have been around a while, I have deep questions about my, about my movie recommendations. I recommend Napoleon Dynamite in case you missed that one. <laughs> but uh, with a biblically and culturally informed imagination, The Chosen wonderfully brings to life Jesus of Nazareth, his first century Middle Eastern context. The Chosen invites us to imagine what it must have been like for Jesus his family, his followers, the Jewish religious leaders, the Roman government officials, in the unfolding of the greatest story ever told. As I have watched The Chosen, a lot has gone through my mind. Uh, I have not only appreciated the compelling picture of Jesus, his kindness, you know, his tenderness, his gentleness, but also the very vivid portrayal of what following Jesus entails. In The Chosen, we are given a front row seat into what the path of discipleship with Jesus really looks like. And one of the things I find most compelling, y'all, is in The Chosen, we encounter the very real cost of following Jesus. 
So what is the cost of following Jesus? Is it worth everything we may be afraid of losing or having to give up? A close friend, perhaps? A cherished dream? A career direction? A moral restriction? An ethical limitation? At the start of the new year, we often think about resolutions, don't we? And I'm not a real fan of those, but I am a fan of asking a reflective question. And this question emerges in our text this morning. What does discipleship with Jesus really look like? Now, wherever you are in your spiritual journey this morning, whether you are uh, considering the Christian faith, whether you've been a Christian a long time, this is a central question of the Christian faith. The writer John wants us to repeatedly consider this. What does discipleship to Jesus, with Jesus, look like? So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the Gospel of John in the New Testament. And as you probably know, if you uh, have been here a while, we are picking up where we left off in the Gospel of John in August. Beginning with chapter 12 through chapter 20, John's literary framework compresses to the very last week of Jesus' earthly life. Now as we come to the second half of John 12, John will explicitly frame Jesus' mission to the cross. And as John does this, this section of the text is often skipped over. And that's tragic. Because John wants us to reconsider once again the core teaching on discipleship that Jesus taught. That is, what it entails, and amazingly, it's open invitation to everyone, including the Gentile world. This is explicitly laid out for us first in verses 20 through 22. Follow along if you have your Bible open. John writes, Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. The tendency for us as readers of the text is to skip over this part, but it is a vital hinge. The gospel writer John intentionally describes a group of God-fearing, Greek-speaking non-Jews who have come to Jerusalem, the temple, to worship. It's very clear that Jesus' reputation has gone far and wide. In fact, the religious leaders who are now opposing Jesus, if you look at verse 19, John connects this, says this, right? Look, the world has gone after him. And indeed it has. And John wants us to know that. Here we have Greek-speaking Gentiles who want to, literally the text says, to get an audience with Rabbi Jesus, someone they've heard so much about. And why this is so important is to understand that we could read the New Testament thinking this is primarily a Jewish religion, a Jewish Messiah for Jewish people, not on your life. It's for the whole world, and John doesn't want us to miss that. The Greek non-Jews have come to ask Jesus, what does it mean, Rabbi Jesus? And Jesus' response is compellingly clear and simple. His message to them is really two words, follow me. Follow me. And Jesus paints, as he often does as a brilliant rabbi, a metaphorical picture of what discipleship, or we may say apprenticeship, which is more relationally intensive, either one of those words work, or a learner, 
what that apprenticeship or discipleship with himself really looks like. What we might call a Jesus discipleship lifestyle. So beginning in verse 23, friends, what we see in this text are three lifestyle characteristics of apprenticeship with Jesus. And this is how the text goes. The first one is self-sacrifice. Secondly, wholehearted obedience. And third, in a crescendo of energy, relational intimacy with him. So that's how we want to flow through the text this morning. First, the first characteristic of what discipleship with Jesus really looks like is a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. Look at verses 23 through 25. And Jesus answered them, right? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, it's very emphatic. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, or whoever loves his life, loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Brilliant Jesus responds to these Gentile Greek-speaking seekers of truth, and he doesn't notice first with a metaphor. That metaphor is a metaphor of a seed that is planted in the ground that springs almost mysteriously to life and produces fruit. This past Christmas, uh, Liz and I got one of those wonderful gifts, I love flowers, but it's those big winter bulbs, maybe you've got those, I think they're called amaryllis or something like that, right? You're all, I think you're connecting with me there. And uh, you know, the box has this beautiful picture of this amazing flower in the middle of winter, right? And you pull out, and it's this big bulb, and it looks dead as dead. Dead as dead. And I kept looking at the box like, oh, yeah, right, right? But here's the bulb. So you put it in, you know, in a, uh, a place of light. You add water. And wouldn't you believe it? All of a sudden, there's these big green stems that shoot out from nowhere. And in just a couple of weeks, we have the most beautiful flowers. This is the picture Jesus paints of discipleship. A metaphorical one. In a sense, the bulb had to die to go into the ground before new life could emerge. Beautiful life. Okay? So keep that in mind. This is how Jesus responds. In a metaphorical way. Fascinating, isn't it? But we must not miss that Jesus is pointing his apprentices to the same path of self-sacrifice that Jesus will walk himself. Because Jesus will say in the other Gospels, if you're going to follow me, you take up your cross and follow me. Jesus often does this rabbinical style shares a metaphor, and then embeds in it a paradox. Notice the text, you have a paradox of discipleship. And it can be confusing. He says, basically, when we lose our life, we actually find it. You go, hmm. Or when we hate our life, we actually love it. It's like, what is Jesus saying? On the literal surface, Jesus' use of the words hate and love can be rather confusing. And Jesus is not saying we are to hate ourselves in that sense, right? but he has a preferential sense, a sense of ordering. Jesus is describing the proper ordering of our heart loves that discipleship with Jesus inevitably brings. That is, our love for God is to be so strong that other loves in our life, including love for our own self and love for others, will seem rather small in comparison. That's the idea. And in response to his love for us, Jesus' love for us, Discipleship will call us to love him back as the greatest passion and highest priority of our lives. What I love about this is that Jesus is not some bait-and-switch slick salesperson. 
Again, nothing against sales, okay? Just saying, it's an important calling. But he doesn't hide his scars, notice this, or the cross that is self-sacrifice in order to persuade people to follow him. I mean, it is stunning to me. Jesus doesn't offer an easy life of blissful temporal happiness and pleasure unabandoned, unabandoned in this world, as we often think today in our culture as true happiness. No. He knew the human heart. And the human heart longs for so much, much more. It was Dietrich Bonhoeffer who profoundly captured this teaching. In one of the classic books, you know, he was martyred by the Nazis for his faith. Pastor Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship, clearly one of the great classics of the Christian church. And he captures Jesus' teaching here. Listen carefully. He says, the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is that dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. And as we embark on discipleship, we surrender ourselves to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins, he writes, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. Bonhoeffer says in this sentence is what he's known for throughout history. When Christ calls a man or a person, he bids him come and die. This is what Jesus is saying here in our text this morning. Jesus knew humanity well. The most brilliant being that ever walked on this planet. And he knew the fallen human heart at its very core, the fallen human heart, was an idol factory, yours and mine. And the most perilous idol any human heart can face, yours and mine, is the idol of self. It is the greatest barrier to the abundant life, the good, true, and beautiful life that Jesus has for any disciple. And that barrier is the deification and enthronement of human self. Jesus knew discipleship with himself would be costly in that regard. A death would be needed for every disciple for the dethronement of self. Yet in that death, a glorious new life would emerge. So Jesus says, what does a discipleship, apprenticeship life with him look like? What is that lifestyle? Number one, it exhibits self-sacrifice. But on the heels of that, secondly, is a characteristic of wholehearted obedience. Look at verse 26. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. In just one verse, if you have your text open, you notice that Jesus refers to serving and servanthood three times. Noting that God the Father's honoring presence in this posture is the path of servanthood. And we will see as we continue this series through this remarkable section of John, in the very next chapter, John will point to Jesus, who models this by what? Washing his disciples' dirty feet. The point here is that those who enter the yoke of discipleship with Master Jesus take on the mantle of an obedient servant. Notice here in verse 26 that a lifestyle of servanthood flows out of our followership to Jesus. Notice how the text builds. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must first 
follow me. And following Jesus, y'all, has one requirement. One requirement. And that is those who follow him will obey him wholeheartedly. And of course, Jesus modeled this to the Father as he wholeheartedly went to the cross with the ultimate sacrifice. This is the primary love language of Jesus. Can I use that language? And in chapter 14, verse 21, we'll see more of this in our series, but notice Jesus reinforces this connection of love and obedience. He says, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. Hear me carefully. Loving Jesus and obeying Jesus go hand in hand. They simply cannot be separated. To believe somehow we love Jesus and be unwilling to obey him, even when that obedience is costly, dear friends, is one of the most dangerous self-deceptions you or I can ever embrace. Nor must we, in the name of loving God and loving others, as important as that is, and good as that is, in doing so, disobey the clear teachings of, of Jesus and Holy Scripture that he affirmed from every word. Christian love never dismisses sin. It never undermines biblical truth. It never advocates any moral compromise. Wholehearted obedience to Christ will be costly. Jesus says that. This is the path of discipleship. What will it mean? I don't know exactly your life, but I can tell you some things that I know it means. One thing, it will mean saying no to some things you may want to say yes to initially. It may mean saying yes to some things you want to say no. It may mean loving others who you do not want to love or serving others you do not want to serve. It may mean being rejected instead of accepted by others. It may mean not getting that Promotion at work or the necessity of changing jobs. It may mean becoming less popular at school or getting out of a dating relationship that is not pure and God-honoring. It may mean your sexual orientation calls you to a lifestyle of Christ-honoring celibacy. In many parts of the world, following Jesus, like our Iranian brothers and sisters, means persecution, torture, imprisonment, and even death. I don't know what costly obedience will be for you if you follow Jesus, but I know it'll be costly. But I also know that Jesus suffers with you. He is with you in your suffering, and you are never alone in paying that cost. So have you considered carefully, are you considering the cost of following Jesus? But there's also a cost of not following him. The cost of non-discipleship. What you may be asked to give up, whatever there is. What is it you are afraid of losing, of following Jesus? God's word declares and Jesus says, all of that is worth it to follow him. Much more than you would ever be afraid of losing anything. In the great omission, Dallas Willard beautifully captures the high cost of non-discipleship. Listen to what he says. Non-discipleship costs abiding peace. A life penetrated throughout by love. Faith that sees everything in the light of God, overriding governance for good, 
hopefulness that stands firm in the most discouraging of circumstances. And I love this. The power to do what is right. In short, non-discipleship costs you exactly the abundance of life Jesus came to bring you. See, discipleship with Jesus is the path to the unique, abundant life now and forever. And Jesus offers it to everyone who follows him. Jesus said he came to give us life, to give it to us abundantly. That the good, true, and beautiful life we were created for, the truest longings of our heart, only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can meet the deepest longings of your heart. And discipleship with Jesus will involve a cost, sure. No doubt. No question. The longer you follow him, the more costly it often is. But the benefits greatly outweigh the cost. This is what Jesus is saying. And those who love and serve and follow Jesus obey him. And again, we obey him not out of drudgery or obligation or meritorious earning, but out of grace-filled gratitude, tender affection, loyal devotion to the one who died for you and me, who rose again, defeating death, our greatest enemy, the one who knows us and who invites us to know him. So what does discipleship with Jesus look like? Number one, Jesus says self-sacrifice. That's the lifestyle. Secondly, wholehearted obedience, but notice where the text goes. It's a lifestyle of relational intimacy with him. Look at verses 35 through 36. So Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. If you have studied the Bible or even studied a lot about religious ideas throughout history, you know that the metaphors of darkness and light are often some of the most common to describe the non-material spiritual realities. The Gospel writer John from John 1 through 8 all the way through weaves together this metaphor of light and darkness and here he brings it up again, reminding us that Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And the imagery of walking in the light and not darkness reflects a lifestyle, a daily lifestyle, embedded in and overflowing from an intimate, abiding relationship with Jesus. Notice the imagery in the text. It's often missed of having the light here. Not just being in the light, but having the light, being with the light. Jesus frames discipleship with himself here in an intimate, familial, relational language. What do I mean by that? Notice in the text, he says, those who follow him will become sons, or we say sons and daughters, of the light. In other words, when we follow Jesus, we become part of God's family. We are sons and daughters of God himself. And we will know God and be known by God. We will be with him. We will experience a with God life. Jesus will frame discipleship with himself. And you'll notice this through John. You notice it here echoing Trinitarian intimacy. Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit. And as we'll see in the weeks ahead, and don't miss it, as we explore John 13 through 17, our teaching team is so excited to press into this. 
we will experience those who follow him are invited to be intimate friends with God. Intimate friends. To be with him, to abide in him. We love him and follow him wholeheartedly. Because he first loved us completely, tenderly, unconditionally. Dane Ortland has a wonderful little book I recommend, Gentle and Lowly. And he says it so beautifully. Listen to what he says. He says, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, as you've embraced him as your Lord and Savior through faith, you have a friend who in your sorrow will never lob down a pep talk from heaven. He cannot bear to hold himself at a distance. Nothing can hold him back. His heart is too bound up with yours. That's awesome. So what does discipleship with Jesus look like? First and foremost, it is the daily cultivation as the highest passion and priority of your life of an intimate relationship with him, the light of the world. In the yoke of Christ, we not only walk in the light, as good as that is, we walk with the light. So in reflection this morning, as you enter a new year, with all the unknowns and possibilities in your work and your family, I want to ask you that question. Are you walking with the light? And how do you know? And I want to suggest for your reflection three evaluative questions. I'd like you to write these down, either in your heart, your memory, or on a piece of paper, or in your phone. I think I'll help you as it helps me think about the most important question is, are you following Jesus? What does discipleship with Jesus look like? Number one question. Am I ordering my loves rightly? Many of us tend to think that discipleship with Jesus is believing rightly. And of course, that is essential. Sound doctrine is essential. But discipleship is about ordering our heart loves rightly too. To increasingly love what Jesus loves. To love as he loves and how he loves. And frankly, it is very possible and perilously common to believe rightly and yet not love rightly. And we will see as John unpacks his gospel, and I can't wait for this message, but as it restores Peter, right? He focuses on right loving, not just right believing. He says, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me more than these? And that's the question to each of us this morning as we launch 2023. Let me ask you honestly, what do you really love? What do you really love? What is your greatest desire or passion? What does your heart really delight in? What can't you stop talking about? Is your greatest desire and passion to know Christ, to pursue intimacy with him, or is your heart chasing after lesser loves? Intimacy substitutes such as material things, achievements, financial security, you name it. So how is your heart doing as we start a new year? What is your heart condition? What does your heart truly love? Your calendar, your checking account, your credit card, your conversations, your workplace, your spiritual disciplines, your Sabbath observance, or lack of that, your friendships, they all help you answer that question. Second question I'd like you to write down. Am I holding things loosely? When good things become ultimate things, they become idols. We can have idolatrous attachments, whether that's a relationship or some pleasure or wealth or status or even our work or our job. 
And when they become idols, we walk in darkness. The path of discipleship calls us to say goodbye to idolatrous attachments, and that's a daily lifestyle of repentance, not just a one-timer. The inconvenient truth is we all give our lives to someone or something. We all have an ultimate allegiance. We do, whether we admit it or not. Many of us, it's to ourself. But one of the great lies we believe is we can have it all, and we can have Jesus without losing anything. But dear friends, discipleship with Jesus always has a cost. Idols always lie about their long-term cost. This was the lie in the Garden of Eden long ago, right? The lie, you surely won't die. You can have it all. There's no cost for disobedience. You can be God. You can be self-enthroned. Idols lie, but Jesus tells the truth. And idols of your heart and my heart demand attention. They do. They demand our affection. They demand our allegiance, our best energy. They hold tightly onto us and get us to hold too tightly onto other people or other things. So what or who are you holding onto too tightly instead of Jesus? Lastly, am I pursuing fellowship regularly? Let me say this quickly. Disciples of Jesus is a personal relationship, you bet. But it is never exclusively a solitary enterprise. There is a magnetic pull to spiritual, local community when discipleship with Jesus is embraced. John will write this in 1 John. He says, when we walk in the light, what? We have koinonia. We have deep fellowship with one another. Relational intimacy with God and with one another in local church community. Discipleship with Jesus pursues and is committed to a local church community of fellow disciples. What does discipleship with Jesus look like as we start a new year? Jesus tells us, the Messiah for the whole world, a life of self-sacrifice, a life of wholehearted obedience, a life of growing intimacy with Christ, a life of joyful (laughs) consecration. One of the great gifts to the church is 18th century church leader John Wesley. And you know how he began the new year? With this wonderful congregational prayer of discipleship consecration that I would like you to join me in as I close this morning. We should have slides here. And if you are a follower of Jesus, if you're not yet, that's the first step. But if you're a follower of Jesus, may this be our prayer. And I'd like you to share it with me as I say it out loud. You'd say it out loud as well. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Place me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or lay aside for you, exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. May it be so. Amen and amen.